Hello and welcome to Joe's Boys. This is a podcast for little women, little men, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Peyton Thomas. I'm the author of the novel Both Sides Now. I'm also a writer for publications like Vanity Fair and the New York Times. And I'm here today with not one but two iconic guests. I'm told they hail from the same little women group chat. First, we have Katie Haney. Katie is the author of several books, most recently the novel The Year I Stopped Crying, which the school library journal called a must for all collections in a starred review. Also the author of Girl Crushed, which I called Made Me Cry. She's written for The Cut, The New York Times, The Atlantic, and many more places. Katie, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm so good. So nice to finally chat, like not on Twitter DM. I know. It's finally face-to-face. I Are you still on Elon Musk's Twitter? Not really. I okay. happen from time to time just to make sure there's nothing crazy happening, but it's not enjoyable for me in the least anymore. Yeah, I mean, same same here, likewise. And also with us, we have Lindsay Weber, host of the smash hit Who Weekly podcast, for which I am a patron. <laughs> She's written for a gazillion publications, including Cosmopolitan, The New York Times Magazine, and Vulture, where she was an associate editor. Lindsay, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, good. Thanks for having me. I am still on Twitter, but not tweeting, okay. which I think is the way to play it. <laughs> And the Who Weekly Twitter feed happens to be a really nicely curated place of just nothing but stupidity. So I am very happy (laughs) there. Yes, that's the way you want to be. That's, I think, the ideal usage at this point. Mm -hmm. It was just too stressful for me on top of I don't want to... I don't know why we're talk- getting into Elon Musk right up top, but that's it's where I know Katie. It's where we first bonded. So yes, yes, let's set that aside. And now I would love to know, I'll, I'll let each of you answer, obviously. So what's your relationship to Little Women beyond the Little Women group chat, which I do need to hear more about? Well, we have to shout out the other members of the Little Women group mm-hmm. chat. So Meredith Haggerty and Kiara Teak, shout out to them. They are the <laughs> other two members of the Little Women group chat. The origin of the Little Women group chat is actually, I think, really good and adorable and authentic in that (laughs) where it came from is the four of us literally took a trip to Orchard House in 2014. We went on a road trip. Meredith is from the area. She's from Concord and she, or from Carlisle, I forget what, somewhere near there where all the wars were (laughs) and where all the battles were. And we literally drove there and went and it was as good of an experience as you could imagine. I'm from Newton and I never went as a kid really. And I'm not, it wasn't even far from me. And so to go with a better understanding and appreciation for the book and all of the other Little Women spinoffs or whatever was with friends that also cared was extremely fun and rewarding. Perfect road trip, perfect girls week away. Yes. That's so exciting. Yeah. It was amazing. We got we went mm-hmm. to Meredith Meredith showed us her childhood bedroom, which was so <laughs> incredibly thematically wrapped up in Little Women somehow. She'd covered her entire bedroom as a kid with entertainment weekly covers and printouts. She had <laughs> a full collage of all these hot boys. And I was just like, This is so perfect. <laughs> this goes so well with the trunk full of dress up clothes that we just saw. Oh, it was a yeah. really beautiful synergy. That's so I special. Watched the movie yeah. that night, I think, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. The ninety four. The ninety four. Yeah. yeah. That's the classic. Yeah. How do we feel about the other ones? Just quick takes, hot takes. I love them both. I probably had the highest standards for the Greta one and was like, this is awesome. Thank God. And the first one is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my whole life. So 
I was just listening to the score, actually, for the first one. Oh, yeah. I will say the score for the first one is miles beyond the score for the second one. And this is a new opinion. Yeah. I just have to okay. cement that. Yeah, I've heard that, too, from people in the know about scores. The I think the consensus, and I apologize <laughs> if anyone feels differently, but I've heard that the people in the know think that the score for the second movie was phoned in. I agree. And I don't know enough about music to... I know I don't know enough about scoring to to say either way, but oh, yeah. I don't either. But I'm just mm-hmm. saying it. It's just the first one is incredibly perfect. It's just it, mm-hmm. the feel of that one is so much more associated with the book. Mm-hmm. The second one, it just kind of feels like filler compared to sure. the Thomas Newman sure. version. Well, and so Katie, do you also have a special relationship to Little Women beyond the road trip? Yeah, I mean, I, I think like many people my age, it was big for me when I was young because of the timing of the movie. I was eight when it came out. So just a big sleepover fixture at the time. And obviously I identified with Joe as a tomboy and wannabe writer, as I think many of us do who love Little Women. So yeah, it's just like Lindsay said, I don't remember exactly how we decided to go on the trip together, but we've maintained the chat for almost a decade now since. (laughs) It's surprising how much continuous material there is to kind of keep it going. Yeah, it's reliably in the news. Obviously, the explosion of the Greta movie a couple of years ago, that must have been a very exciting time for the group chat. Huge moment. Yeah. Yeah. I have to ask, the Concord road trip, did that include a trip to the Concord Duncan? Okay, no, because the mural had not been painted yet. The mural (gasps) came only a few years ago. Trust me, this was like a big point of contention because I'm like, I got to get to that mural. I don't even need to go to Orchard House again. I got to get to that mural. But the mural didn't exist until recently. Okay. So no, we didn't. Yeah, we have to go back. And like, yeah, I, know, I live in LA now, so it's going to be a logistical mm-hmm. nightmare. So does Kiara half the time. So but we need to make it work. I have to see that mural and yeah. I have to see that mural. <laughs> and it's funny because Merritt's parents sold their house. I My parents don't live in Newton anymore. It literally is oh. going to be the most, it has to be the most <laughs> dedicated trip. It's going to yeah. be a pain in the ass. We have to do it 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the focus trip. When I was, I made my pilgrimage like a year and a half ago and I, I was doing research for this book project I'm doing. So it was like a full month in the archives in Concord and in wow. Cambridge. And I still didn't make it to the Duncan, which... Oh my God. Because <laughs> I didn't know about the mural. And if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about... There's a mural in the Concord Duncan of the little women, of little women enjoying like a, what is it? A carton they, of Dunkin' Donuts? Yeah, as they would be, a cup, a, ba- a box of Joe, yes. <laughs> as they authentically did in the book. I don't yes, understand. absolutely. It's, we all remember yeah, that moment. It's it got, so good. Yeah. If I remember I mean, too. There's only like a picture of them with like dinosaurs promoting an actual science museum. There's no... Yeah. <laughs> It's perfect for this, but yeah. it, it would be something that, you know, Lindsay is very passionate about already, especially. So mm-hmm. it's a great confluence. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, a Massachusetts classic. I do mm-hmm. remember, though, one thing about our trip is that we were fully obsessed with, and I'm sure she's still there, but the woman who is the lead curator and does Louisa May Alcott cosplay is yeah. one of the most fascinating people I think I'd ever met. And we she's were so cool. fully obsessed with her. Yeah. And yeah. then. They funded a documentary about it a few mm-hmm. years later that I, of course, paid for, never saw, somehow <laughs> could not find or something. I mean, God bless them. But mm-hmm. just she herself was such a compelling person. And I hope yeah. she's still 
deeply involved. I'm sure she is. Oh, yeah. I've emailed with her a couple of times. I know I'm she's still kicking. Sure. Jan Turnquist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's the one when you go to Orchard House, they take you up into the Concord School of Philosophy. And, you know, you watch her introduce the house in cosplay as Algon. And it's just, it's incredibly charming. It's a lovely place to be. As a kid, I collected, and I've kind of gotten back into it as an adult American Girl doll. So I have a custom doll of Saoirse Joe, and I took her with me, and she got to enjoy the accoutrement. And in the gift shop, people thought she was for sale. I'd be like, no, she's just... One of a kind, one of a kind original. Definitely a handshake hobby. Little Women and American Girl yes. Doll is definitely like oh, an overlap completely. that I'm sure many people share with you. I yes. certainly do. Yeah. Yes. Well, so Katie, you already said which March sister you are, your Joe. Is there anything else you want to say about your Jonas at this time? Well, I should add, I guess, too, that in, within the confines of our group text, I technically volunteered, I think, heroically with be Beth because no one obviously wants to be Beth. But I had to admit that of the four of us, I am the closest that we have because Kiara is married and a mother. Meredith strongly identifies with Amy's little princessy ways. And Lindsay also sees herself as a Joe. So because Beth is kind of also quiet and a depressive loner (laughs) and like sick. (laughs) I was like, okay, I guess I will take one for the team and be the best of the group. Obviously when reading it and without my friend's influence, I do see myself more as a Joe, but there is something about me that is drawn to like the one kind of plain and boring sister, which is also a big trope in Jane Austen, Mary. And that's, I see that for me. So, okay. Yeah. I do think we're all kind of like, Joe with other sister rising. <laughs> sure, sure. I'm a Joe with a Meg rising, I think. Interesting. I do think that there is kind of a, if you're a writer, if you're like a modern girly in 2023, you see yourself <laughs> as a Joe, I think. I just, mm-hmm. and also it's like how everyone's a Carrie, it's the protagonist yeah. brain set. We're just, we're all the main girl. Mm-hmm. So in that group, it, we kind of fell into those roles, but I don't <laughs> think that is authentic, really, if you were okay. to go to the original, you know? But also I think in the book, as opposed to the movies, Beth is way more developed as a person oh, yeah. who could be versus <laughs> the sister who dies. It's definitely, <laughs> our friend Kiara wrote this incredible play, Women, about little women. And wow. her Beth is definitely a joke on the interpretation of oh. Beth. But <laughs> when you read the book, she really has lots of it more layers, yeah. which is a very nice thing about rereading mm-hmm. the book in parts that you kind of see that like she's a person. <laughs> She's not oh, yeah. a person. Yeah. yeah. She kind of gets, obviously, a lot of this book gets sort of left out or flattened for like these adaptations. And I think Beth kind of consistently gets the dead end of the stick. Literally. <laughs> She's a real martyr. Well, Katie, I should say this also. It's just coincidentally come up in the last couple episodes I've recorded, just the lesbian interpretation of Beth. So that's, that's <laughs> it's gathering strength. So I interviewed the author, Anna Todd, a couple weeks ago. And In her Little Women adaptation, Beth is a lesbian. That's sort of how Beth comes out of her shell. She doesn't die. She meets a cute girl and gets (laughs) over social anxiety. She comes out as a lesbian? Yeah. Like, why the fuck not? Okay. (laughs) Shout out to that. Rock on. One seems a lot better, but whatever. I I read tons of adaptations for this show, and nobody ever kills Beth anymore. It's just not the done thing. 
They either do God. complex chronic illness stuff with her, or she's doing something completely <laughs> different, or, like, or whatever. <laughs> what? Yeah. Or <laughs> sorry, I'm such a purist. No. I'm like, kill her. What if they give her Munchausen? Yeah. That would oh, be amazing. Oh my God! <laughs> I'm gonna do that. Nobody no. take that. No, giving Beth Lyme disease <laughs> really is an extremely no. incredible modern interpretation of Little Women. Like, yeah, make her suffer That's... her entire life. <laughs> yeah. And well, there, and then the other thing people love to do is she gets leukemia, and then the big haircut scene is Joe doing it in solidarity with Beth, which is so people have different things that they do, but no one ever kills her. And this author was like, I'm not even gonna go near that. She's just she's gonna be socially anxious, and then she's gonna get over it. But then yesterday, literally yesterday, I was recording, and we were doing the chapter where Amy goes to Europe, and she thinks Fred Vaughn is gonna propose, and she's like, one of us has to marry well, Meg hasn't, Joe won't, and Beth can't. And we were like, what does that mean? Why can't Beth and the lesbian Beth? <laughs> oh, <laughs> fair. Rose. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. She truly can't. <laughs> I hear, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that never occurred to me. Yeah. Joe's right there. Right. Uh, but sure. I mean, you could have two lesbian marks. Yeah. Beth can be a lesbian. We can adopt that. So, okay. And Lindsay, while you're here, I was going to ask you to rank the Marchesters who did them, but I feel oh it's kind God. of a gimme. I know. It really is. It's rude to do. But I do yeah. think that I do think that Beth outranks Meg, though, which I think is maybe a controversial okay. take. So yeah, I think it's yeah. Joe is a themiest, then Amy, then Meg, then mm-hmm. Beth. Although in the 1994 movie, Beth outranks mm-hmm. Meg, unfortunately. That's just the truth. Yeah. I, yeah. I think each interpretation has them switching, Beth and Meg, but, you know, Joe and Amy come first, I think. What's definitely very true is that a them has never, well, I was going to say a them has never played Meg, but that's rude Emma Watson. <laughs> <laughs> it's very rude. <laughs> it's not a them performance. No. No, not at all. But I remember when she was cast as Meg, it was a huge deal in that lineup because mm-hmm. Flo mm-hmm. Pugh wasn't at her biggest strength. Like she sure. wasn't this as yeah. big as we talk about her now. And so it really was, Emma Watson really was kind of the A-list casting of that movie for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, not an amazing yeah. performance, but, you know, she was there. No. Yeah, I know that originally it was Emma Stone, but then she had to, like, drop out because she was doing The Favorite. She would have done And I always wonder with that performance. Yeah. She, she, done, she would have done, done a good job, I think. Yes. And we would have had one American, at least, right? Though we have none in that one. Yeah, everyone's, like, yeah. New Zealander or Australian right. or British or <laughs> Irish. It's not to sound like a nationalist, but I didn't no. see that none of them are actually Americans. Yeah. Well, and none of them are lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> that we know of. I, that's, that's true. That we I don't know. know of. Sorry. Yes, yeah, true. Very true. <laughs> so, well, now today we're talking about Chapter 32, Tender Troubles. Lindsay, Katie, do you want to recap for us? You can tag team this. So it's a pretty internal chapter, I would say. It has to deal with Marmy worrying that Beth seems off in a way that does not have to do with yeah. the fact that she's dying. <laughs> More of an emotionally distant issue. And Joe sort of takes about trying to figure out what it is. She decides that it must be that Beth is in love with Lori because Beth is kind of like looking forlornly out the window at him time to time. And at the same time, she is dealing with realizing that Lori is more in love with her than she wants him to be and wondering how to kind of escape this unwanted love triangle that she's in. 
And then towards the end, she makes the big, bold decision that she's going to go off to New York. This is how I'm going to solve these two issues of Beth being in love with Lori and Lori being in love with... And Lori kind of says, I know what you're doing and it's not going to work. (laughs) And also, I guess it's relevant to mention that Marmee, when Joe confesses that she doesn't want to marry Lori, that Marmee's supportive of that idea and thinks that they would be a good match. Yeah. So it's really in a long, in a way, this is the chapter that sort of tees up the rest of the book. This is- yeah, going to New York, right? That's the big <laughs> yep. split. Yeah, I for- I'd forgotten that there's so that because the movies kind of make it seem like Lori springs it on Joe. She's like, oh, yeah. yikes. No, ah, not this, <laughs> not now. But this is very much she's very aware of what's going mm-hmm. on here. And she's very much like because going to New York with a purpose because she wants mm-hmm. to be free, but also because she sees her walls closing in on her, meaning mm-hmm. I'm going to have to marry this guy. My my sister's going to be pissed, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's a much better excuse for her to go to New York because it mm-hmm. fits more with her character as somebody who has only lived in one town her whole life versus all of yeah. a sudden having this grand notion to escape to New York. It almost feels like she would have to be way more broad for that to happen so early in her life. And this is a way mm-hmm. better kind of opening. It makes way more sense. Yeah. Yeah. I love how it's set up because it is truly for herself that she's doing this as well. The circumstances are convenient, but she has this whole plan figured out. She's gotten the job. She's figured that out. She's going to go to New York and do this and that. She's going to become a writer. So much of it is she understands that Concord is too confining for her, which even though this was like, it was a big intellectual center at the time with a ton of writers. There was something about the New York being a city in a way that Concord and wasn't quite yet that she decides she has to go out to service. And we know that this is also, it kind of mirrors what Alcott had to go out and get to work and start being a writer economically when she was very young. So she's giving Joe this lovely flourishing that Alcott got as well. And I love that this is where Greta begins the story with, Mm. you know, Joe out on the town, going to theater by herself and really living for herself. It's lovely. So let's begin at the beginning then. I... So obviously, Joe believing that Beth is in love with Lori is like hilarious and galaxy brain. Do we think she actually believes this? What's going on here? Oh, you don't think is that not it? Is Beth just sick, sick? That's the other thing is I was like, oh, Beth is sick. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. I'd forgotten where that came into play. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's down because she like doesn't feel well. She's literally has mono or whatever. And that's the beginning of the end, you know? Well, what's so interesting here is I think we assume that Beth is, we assume her health is poor, but Joe says, I think she's been very well since the babies. Her health seems great. What are you talking about that she's down? And obviously that seems to not be the case. Beth is beginning to understand that she's dying, but the conversation that they have here is mother says, it's not her health that troubles me now. Joe says she seemed unusually well since the babies came and what joke, the conclusion Joe comes to is why mother, best 18, but we don't realize it and treat her like a child, forgetting she's a woman. And the mom's like, oh, how fast you grow up. So the, there's no anticipation of the imminent death at all. Except for like, we know it, right? I just, maybe <laughs> yeah. she's literally depressed. That's the other thing. Yeah. Was, they're kind of just de- describing a depressed person, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She Maybe she has no idea that that's her fate. Maybe she literally is 18 and, de- and depressed, you know? And that yeah. wouldn't be so unusual considering that happens so that's another way to to read it and obviously Lori Mm -hmm. cheers her up he's a clown so (laughs) I can maybe that's her interpretation of what's Mm -hmm. going on with her I mean I think that Joe thinks it's possible that Beth is in love with Lori to the extent that like 
Joe doesn't really think about guys and Lori is the one guy that's around and she knows that other girls do think about boys. Right. He's there and he's just kind of putting two and two together. I think it, she also probably hopes that it could be mm-hmm. true and mutuals to spare herself. So I think it's yeah. right. <laughs> the first motivations that I think she does believe it, if only because she's got a simplistic view of heterosexual attraction. <laughs> It is funny that eventually the other sister will, she has, her idea is good. Having one of her sisters take him off her hands is a genius (laughs) idea. She just had the wrong sister and then that will Mm -hmm. remedy itself. So shout out to her for knowing that. I have to wonder, in the chapter right before this, Amy is in Europe. She has just met Fred Vaughn and it's looking like he's going to propose. So she writes home to Marmy and it's like, what should I do? So that's where we're leaving it. But in the original draft, there is no Fred Vaughn proposal. He's just not there. Instead, Amy has to deal with this suitor who's kind of following her around Europe that she doesn't like very much, (laughs) which makes me wonder how early was the Amy Laurie pairing in the cards as she was writing this? What was the roadmap? It's a big mystery here. It feels a little (laughs) Hollywood movie. We had to wrap this up in a bow and maybe Louisa felt like, oh, that actually is something that would be make this a great leave Mm -hmm. nobody unpaired, you know, leave nobody by themselves in a way. The fans were certainly clamoring for Joe to marry Lori and she was adamant that was not going to fucking happen. (laughs) Right. Somebody had to. Somebody had to. And Lori just wants to be a March sister. That's my reading of the situation. And, I, you know, Joe, I think Joe wants Lori to be in her family. She just doesn't want to be anyone's wife. We haven't got into the Professor Bear of it all. I'm looking, I'm not looking forward to that. But <laughs> I don't know if we have strong opinions in this room about that. And I thought that I think my feelings about him have so much more to do with the movies. I don't know. Yeah. I've read the book a number of times, but for whatever reason, his character in the book doesn't create such a visceral reaction in me as the movie characters do. I mean, obvi- like the 1994 one, like most people thought he was way too old, too far off of Christian Bale. And then in the newer one, I think he's too hot. So I kind of feel like it's wow. a Goldilocks situation where I have yet to see the right Mr. Bear as I envisioned him, but also maybe he's meant to feel a little wrong. Yeah, that was certainly, I know that was the way she intended it. She kind of did it to piss people off very deliberately. (laughs) The only adaptation I've ever seen that kind of nails it is the 30s George Cukor version. He just brings this adult gay man sensibility to it. He's kind of this charming older guy who like, you you get the sense he really wants nothing of jokes sexually. They just enjoy each other's company and he helps her get published. It's like, okay, I can deal with this. Well, that's what I think <laughs> it's meant to be, right? It's an yeah. intellectual equal or more of like a mentor situation. She really loves, yeah. she wants to just essentially have a mentor sh- that she yeah. could never get elsewhere. And it's this older guy who's read way more books than her mm-hmm. and is honestly European. So that's hot yep. or what, whatever. <laughs> and I kind of like the Gabriel Byrne version. I understand that he's way mm-hmm. older, but I do think that he played that really well. And <laughs> their chemistry is very much like she's looking up to him, which is, again, mm-hmm. kind of gross, I guess, in retrospect, but <laughs> does fit, I think, the original, the book's kind of purpose, or at least what Louisa yeah. kind of intended for, which is this mm-hmm. love, but love through kind of books and learning and knowing stuff, which yes. is always the purpose. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, I think there's a piece of it also, obviously, that is just indelibly just the proto-queer transness of Joe. Very early on in this chapter, they're talking about kind of the roles that the kids are playing in the family. Beth is too feeble to help. Amy is too young to depend on. But I always feel strong when you're at home, Joe. And Joe says, yes, if anything is amiss at home, I'm your man. Those are Joe's. (laughs) Those are Joe's words. She's like, yep. I'm your man. Love that. I love the way that they speak. I love the slang in this. I don't know what any of it means. I love that there's so many references. (laughs) Lori speaks in a different language that no one understands. (laughs) I love when they said... Love Lornity. Joe knew that young Lawrence was regarded as a most eligible party by worldly mamas. Did you see that? Worldly mamas? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Worldly mamas. Yes. Worldly mamas. (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) There's so many good... Phrases. Yeah. It's also, I mean, this is another way in which the book diverges from the adaptations because what we get so often is Lori has just always been in love with Joe from the very beginning and Joe is oblivious. But here, Lori has kind of hopped from crush to crush and has now decided, okay, Joe is the one. And that, which is, it's an interesting shading for Lori because I don't know if you have similar experiences, but I too have had, I've been like coming off of bad relationships or dating around and not feeling fulfilled. And at one point I did have this thing. I was like, you know what? I just have to date my best friend. And I, you know, told my best friend this. And she was like, I, <laughs> you know what? That's not. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I did eventually get over it, but it was this very like, oh, of course, this person who I love very deeply and is very close, we should just take this to a romantic place. And she had to be the one to be like, I don't think this is what <laughs> we're supposed to well, do. It's very reading Lori like a typical straight guy. Sorry. Yeah. My experience is <laughs> yeah. he is like, well, now I have to find the girl who's going to fix me. I've oh. done. I've soured my. I love that <laughs> she lets him kind of fuck around and then realize mm-hmm. that, well, now I'm an adult. I'm grown. So I can find the person who's going to ground me and be the real. He's almost looking for somebody smarter, somebody wiser, somebody yeah. more mature than him at this point. He's a baby, too. They're all like, oh, like yeah. He, He's really a baby. And so he's like, well, since this family is my family, but not my blood family, maybe one of these kind of women who essentially raised me will also be my wife, you know, since that's how men looked at that currently (laughs) and back then. Yeah. It's interesting that we get a pretty candid look from Marmee at what she thinks of Lori and why she thinks that they're not, Joe and Lori aren't fit for one another. Because we know that Lori really loves Marmy because he's an orphan at this point, and he just isn't getting that familial warmth from his grandfather. So he idolizes Marmy and always wants to make her proud of him. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's interesting here to see this is exactly what Marmy thinks of him and why she thinks that he's not good enough for Lori, which I feel like must be crushing if Lori knew that. And then topic I wanted to ask you though you mentioned the earlier drafts in part to me I did wonder is this something that they worked in after Alcott decided no I'm not going to have them get married is it yeah was it sort of an amendment to be like let's explain why they're not actually good together so you're not so disappointed as a reader yeah well I, so I think there are a few different things that could be happening here I, we know that she never Joe and Lori were never going to get together that was never at all in the cards for her. We do know in the chapter before this, Fred Vaughn was also initially at least not in the picture. It was just Amy having this, ugh, this suitor won't leave me alone kind of thing. And she's going through Europe flirting with all kinds of boys. Whereas in the revised version, it wound up just being she and Fred Vaughn have this initial courtship. But then also, we've talked about this a few times, but in the first 
chapter, sorry, the first volume rather, Beth recovers from her illness and lives, which is the big divergence from Little Women as autobiography because the real life Elizabeth Alcott died very young. And so we were pointing this out in, in earlier chapters here when Meg gets married, Beth is barely in those scenes because the real life Elizabeth was not alive for things like the elder sister's wedding. So I have to wonder here if, like genuinely, was Beth and Lori ever the plan? If she was just going to have Beth live anyway, was this going to be the solution? Joe goes off to New York and does her thing and Beth and Lori have some kind of thing at home. I, what, It's hard to say. I just don't know. I don't know enough about, there isn't enough archival evidence to really say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it seems like she, she could genuinely be teeing that up here beyond just, it's funny that Joe thinks that Beth is in love with Lori. Yeah. I mean, it could go either right. way toward pointing yeah. towards Amy or Beth. I mean, it's mm-hmm. point is, or just not Joe, which is helpful yeah. either way. Yeah. It's, Interesting to think about Marmy's take on what a married couple should or shouldn't be like yeah. based on that small passage. But also via the yeah. descriptions, they kind of mm-hmm. are like a match. He's a clown. She's kind of morose. Mm-hmm. They do balance. He makes yeah. her laugh. She isn't it. She is more mature. You know, she mm-hmm. I really like in the Greta movie as well as mm-hmm. more more in the Greta than in the 1994 I really like the scene that she does when they're on the beach and Beth talks about being left yeah. behind and I think that's more in conversation with her sickness but I do feel mm-hmm. like a little bit in this and before she even is sick at all there's a little bit like mm-hmm. being the sister left behind oh everybody's yeah. off like doing these grand things and I'm just kind of here waiting around trying to figure out what I do what is mm-hmm. my purpose yeah. and in terms of having her end up with Lori that is kind of a nice realization if that was maybe a direction she had considered going okay. into the next parts but, uh, as opposed to killing her outright and making that <laughs> her destination. <laughs> yeah, because I don't get the sense that she was at all eager to replicate this family tragedy in the book. Mm-hmm. It says a lot that she saves her miraculously in the first volume. And I think what we are getting here, we've already talked about this, but I think this is sort of a portrait of depression. It, you know, Beth is 18 and depressed. She's morose. She's crying at night for reasons that she can't articulate. And, you know, her work is not absorbing to her. And it means a lot when someone comes by and cheers her up. We know that there was, obviously, you guys are also little women experts, but we know that there was a history of depression in the Alcott family. Her father attempted suicide at one point. Alcott herself attempted suicide at one point, or thought about it and wrote about it in her journal. And John Madison, who's who's the one biographer of Alcott has said he thinks that just based on his reading of the archive, he thinks that maybe one reason she never got married or had kids was she was worried about passing on genetic mental illness to her children, genuinely, Mm. which is something that sort of, it's not a central, it's not ever a central theme in the way that we talk about Little Women, but there is a moment that nods to it in the Greta Gerwig film when Joe's ripping up the letter and she's standing on the bridge and she looks into the water. And in the script, Greta Gerwig is explicit. She's like, this is a reference to Alcott's own suicidality, which is, it's pretty bleak. But, you know, I think what's being explored here is depression as it was understood in the 1860s. This is a very sad 18-year-old Beth. I don't know if we have any thoughts on that and the way it's portrayed here. I just... I mean, I don't think it's great, but I think it's great that she included it. I think it's really smart and it's really 
obviously forward thinking. It's re- it's really almost revolutionary to to yeah. kind of put it in these words. Obviously, nobody's gonna be like, mm-hmm. you have depression. That's not, <laughs> yeah. they weren't there yet. But the fact that yeah. we can read it, and that's the first thing we think, and that seems to be a smart read of it, yeah. is yeah. I think, kind of incredible considering it is just so interesting that Joe in Joe's perspective she's like well she must be lovelorn what are the other things you know and then it's kind (laughs) of like to us as the modern reader we're reading it and hopefully she and I think she's writing it to be like no clearly she's just Mm -hmm. trying to figure shit out and it is creating the same kind of factors that you would maybe Mm -hmm. consider to be she has a crush you know on unrequited love It's kind of like a precursor to, I mean, and Peyton, I don't know if you feel this way at all. It's another young adult author, but it's kind of a passage that nods to what becomes young adult genre at some point, except we would go on many more pages about it, of course. (laughs) That's kind of the most, or some of the most internal he looks throughout the book. Yeah, no, completely. The chapter begins and ends with these very compassionate discussions between Marmy and Joe of Beth's mental health, really. And it's at the end, Marmy says, I really don't think it's a crush. (laughs) I don't think that's what's happening here. But it's getting at these internal emotions and feelings and the experience of growing up in a way that, yeah, Katie, is it's a precursor to, if not the very first YA. When Time did their 100 best YA books of all time list a couple of years ago, Little Women was the first item on that list. And a lot of scholars do regard Little Women as kind of the birth of YA as we know it, right? Because it did bridge this gap between books for children and books for adults (laughs) by literally having the marches grow up and go from, you know, these childhood cares to, you know, considering marriage. Like Amy, more than anyone, goes from being an actual little child to married in a way that every adaptation has a hard time with. (laughs) Yeah, but I think this is, I think it really points to a lot of what we would come to see in YA, a lot of things that, and I think it's, it must have been helpful for, you know, teenagers of that time at this moment when they're on the cusp of becoming adults and they're just having a hard time with it. And it's also, I, I wonder if we want to look at, I think she's growing up and beginning to dream dreams and have hopes and fears and fidgets without knowing why or being able to explain them she's not a child, she's a woman. Is any of that Joe reflecting on her own experience and factoring into her decision to go to New York at this point? She like, I'm an adult now, I need to go be independent for a while. What do we think? Well, clearly she's projecting because her experience, yeah. she's speaking from <laughs> her own experience, yeah. you know, she's speaking from her own experience. And maybe even actualizing as she says the words, what the plan mm-hmm. is, it's well, I gotta do something then or yeah. this is... Beth's not going to go anywhere. Maybe the solution Mm -hmm. is, and it's funny because the solution to melancholy was what going to the beach or whatever. They all they had all these funny solutions that were like change of location. I'm a big fan of Sanditon season one, two, whatever. And that whole show (laughs) is about this beachside property that is essentially where people go when they're depressed. Mm -hmm. That's first of all still effective. Maybe not the only solution to depression, but still an effective Mm -hmm. solution. And just the idea that would be some sea air would be the solution. Joe is like change of scenery is where what I will be doing to cure my, Mm -hmm. maybe my own little bits of this melancholy that I also Mm -hmm. have. Just to shout out Kira's Mm -hmm. play again, I think she kind of reflects this part in a scene where Beth is like, and it's a brief joke, but she's like, I kind of look into my future and it's just kind of (laughs) that's <laughs> gorgeous. Yeah, it's so sad in the audience. The audience is like, oh, it's so such a good laugh line. Yeah, it's really sad, but it's also, I think, you know, as alluded to, I think that maybe does have some sense here that these milestones that her sisters are experiencing are 
not something that she will have in her own life because she's not going to make it. So it's like a premonition in a way. Yeah. And even some of the things that Beth says here, or the, you know, the things we're, this, we're not at the speech about the tide going out yet, but some of the sentiments, like those are dangerous and a depressed person, right? They actually kind of reflect a sapping of the will to go on in an interesting way, which is why I've read different interpretations on like what exactly Beth's illness is. It's scarlet fever in the first half, but in the second half, it's a more general degeneration. And at points I've heard she has disordered eating, it's depression, it's this or that. And and I think it's interesting that it's so ambiguous, even here, the discussion of it. But yeah, like looking into the future and seeing blank, it's... Yeah, it makes me wonder to what degree had she decided at this point, was Beth and Lori going to be a real thing? Or was she kind of right here making peace with the fact that she was going to have to kill off this like fictional avatar of her beloved younger sister? It's tricky. I'm going to bring the mood up in the room by giving us a bit of very low stakes Hollywood gossip. So I have a friend of a friend who knows Bradley Cooper, and he did not like Greta Gerwig Little Women. And he was talking mad shit about it, apparently, to this friend of a friend. I need to know. You can't just yeah. state that as like a toss. No, no. What a little bitch. That's I, so That's so what on is, brand. Okay. What is his personal well, attachment to it? How he, What's okay. the connection mm. to the friend? I need everything. So so he saw the movie. You don't audition for Lori. You're crazy because he definitely did. Oh, in 94. In, the, in 94. Sure he, he lost out. Now, yeah. I was like, no, I... No, he did. He also auditioned for Laurie again. <laughs> He's sorry. Like, go ahead. Finish should have been mine, Chalamet. No, no. So she was showing off with that beach scene where they're on the beach and the wind is blowing around them. And he's like, if Beth is sick, why would she be at the beach in the cold? That's not just going to make her sicker. She like Greta Gerwig just wanted the shot. And that's that's Bradley Cooper's take. On. That's so funny. Yeah. Wow. I have to, You're ignorant. She needed fresh air. That's literally how right? you got cured of every disease. Everyone yeah, they were wrong, but that's what they thought. <laughs> yes. I'm not saying it cured yeah. anyone, but it was definitely the thing. They would can go I to the seaside. Up, yes. Yes. Can I bring yeah. up? There's a segment in here that really <laughs> is so beautiful. It has nothing to do with anything. But when she describes okay. the couch, die, I was like, yeah. There's literally a paragraph about the it. couch. It's so good. Should I just read it? It's yes. so beautiful. Okay, hold on. Yes. <laughs> now, the old sofa was a regular patriarch of a sofa. Long, broad, well-cushioned and low, a trifle shabby as mm-hmm. well as it might be, for the girls had slept and sprawled on it as babies, fished over the back, rode on the arms, and had menageries under it as children, and rested tired heads, dreamed dreams, and listened to tender talk on it oh. as young women. They all loved it, for it was a family re- refuge, and one corner had always been Joe's favorite lounging place among the pillows that adorn the the venerable couch was one Mm -hmm. hard round covered with prickly horsehair and furnished with a knobby button at each end this repulsive pillow was her especial property being used as a weapon of defense a barricade or a stern preventative of too much slumber that's just a couch she is no that is such a good paragraph about a couch (laughs) yeah she could have opened that with Joe was sitting on the couch and Lori walked in. She's like, I need She's to like, this table. couch I need is to... going to now yeah. describe the entire history of the family mm-hmm. and then give Joe an incredible character trait in one, yes. almost not even a full sentence, yeah. like a half of a sentence. It's, it's so astonishing. Yeah. I don't know, Katie, if we want to talk about just how this relates to like the actual fiction writing and the struggle of fiction writing, something that I am so challenged by in my own fiction is scene setting because my impulse as a writer is just bring everyone into the room (laughs) and then my editor's like so what does the room look like (laughs) right what what do you take from what Lindsay just read as a lesson as a writer 
I mean, I mostly take envy. I don't, I definitely don't have that ability. I'm torn because in most hands, and this does not include this book, I actually can get really bored pretty easily with scene setting. I tend to skim over it. It's not my favorite thing to read. So I think for that reason, and also just my own skill level is I don't write a lot of scene setting. I do what is needed for the action and, you know, for better and for worse. But I think she's creating a character of the couch. And most people, I think, can't do that with describing ordinary household objects. And I certainly can't or haven't. And so I, I don't. Yeah, I don't interact with scenery as much that way. And I wish that I could do it more. Likewise, I wish that I was capable of doing this because what she does in that paragraph, you know, talking how like they used to fish over the side of it. And then, you know, as they grew up, they heard tender talk there and they comforted one another. It becomes this liminal space between childhood and adulthood where Lori literally meets Joe and they have to decide, you know, first of all, he, she has to welcome him to the couch and then when they're on the couch, they kind of have to decide which path they're going to take. Are they going to continue in this childhood friendship thing? Or are they going to take it to a more adult place? And she's just established this childhood as this purgatory between (laughs) these timeframes. And it's just, it's fascinating the way she does it. There's another line, having been unmercifully pummeled with it in former days when romping was allowed. And it's kind of, it's okay. So growing up means having to be a woman and no longer being able to romp. You can't romp (laughs) on that couch. You can't romp. (laughs) That couch is old is now for only for making out and reading books. It's, it's no more romping. You only have a few options with the couch yeah. when you're grown. It also does the great thing where in the movie where they say the name of the movie, that's in the that mm-hmm. they say the name of the chapter. They allude to the name of the chapter in that mm-hmm. paragraph, which is yep. really nice, I think. A Tender nice touch. troubles. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, I wanna get into there's sort of a way to in which this chapter is about just generally growing up and becoming an adult. But there's also, it's very much about becoming a woman and the question of whether a person wants to become a woman. It feels significant to me. It opens with Marmee saying, I really don't care if you, you know, hint, hint, stay at home all your life and never get married. And Joe's like, that's right, I'm your man. (laughs) Joe is very comfortably situating herself here as a man. And when Lori sort of starts to hint, he's like, maybe we want to get married. Maybe you're going to be my wife. There's something about specifically being a wife and the womanhood that she would have to employ that bumps with her. And even when she and Lori are having this conversation about, oh, you know how girls are, you know how boys are. And Lori says, oh, if you knew how we fellows talked. And when Joe is talking about girls, she doesn't say we, she says they. They do the same. Their tongues are the sharpest. If you behave properly, they would. But knowing you like their nonsense, they keep it up and then you blame them. She's not including herself in that group at all, which is interesting to me because seeing Joe as gender nonconforming, whether that's as a lesbian or a trans man, that's something that we're really invested in here. And I think it comes out, it leaps out here. Or the third uncharitable interpretation is, yeah, not like other girls. (laughs) Oh, certainly. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I think it's perhaps a blend of all three things or, you know, somewhere shades of all three things. I think that Lindsay sort of said this, Mm -hmm. the modern girlies reading this, who among us, no matter how we identify or our gender, would want to be a woman at that time, specifically. (laughs) Terrible fate. (laughs) Yeah. And I just, I think it's also just trap, just entrapment too. Like she's, she's running from what she Mm -hmm. knows to be something that traps you and keeps Mm -hmm. you in one Mm -hmm. place. So yeah, yeah, I, 
I love this because you can read it any way that you want. And it's written mm-hmm. so carefully to be yeah. that way. It's kind of incredible that it's that it could be seen through every single lens and be correct yeah. and be proven correct. Oh, and completely. Like, yeah. You know, I always read her as a tomboy, but that's mm-hmm. just because of my perspective. Yeah. That's lit. And I read it when I was 13. So what else mm-hmm. would I, you know, what else would I have a perspective to know? Yeah. So it is incredible that mm-hmm. as you gain perspective, you see this mm-hmm. differently. And I'm just always in awe that she was able to write it like that. No, yeah, it's so it's so frank for the time about these realities of what it meant to be a girl, a woman, someone who did not feel comfortable in those prescribed roles at all. Going with what you said, Katie, as well, like there is kind of a lot of frank, not like other girlsness in this book. You know, there there are passages like when Beth goes to the debutante ball where femininity really gets a thrashing. <laughs> Meg is not allowed to wear a pretty dress. This is <laughs> and the book sometimes kind of takes a dim view of other girls. The female friendships in this book are very strong, but they are between Joe and her sisters, right? Their sisters, exactly. It's like, I really actually only get along with boys and my sisters. (laughs) Yeah, and then there's an earlier chapter in this volume where Beth invites her entire class over for a party, and she goes to great pains to make sure this party is just going to be happening. And then one girl shows up, which is, again, it's a very (laughs) dim view of female friendship. And and the family comes together and rallies for Amy. But it's, I think that's another part of it that that is so ageless. You know, we could say, and I feel, you know, some of the ways people respond to books today, they would read that and say it's sexist or it's, you know, dismissive of female friendships. It's anti-femininity, all these things. It kind of is, but it's also reflective of the way we all were at times as teenagers. Most of us go through periods where we want to distinguish ourselves, or at least people who grew up girls, we want to distinguish ourselves from other girls because girls are like treated like shit. And the only way we can think of to spare ourselves is to be different. Mm-hmm. And that's not really our fault, even if it is unflattering and, you know, not the best way to handle things at the time. But I think this is just an early example of something that's very accurate still today, where these girls aren't perfect. And that's part of oh. why we like them so much. Yeah. Yeah. I also just love that you're reading this book and it's like, you know, I can only trust my sisters. But I would say <laughs> the spirit of little women mm-hmm. is now maybe like we have a group chat that are just our four friends where and our yeah. group chat's called little yeah. one it does actually reflect onto female friendship in yeah. a way the collective of coming together and loving this book it's not just oh it's only for sisters i don't have mm-hmm. a sister right i'm only able to connect with other women over this book that are not mm-hmm. my blood relatives so there is a sisterhood that yes. is taken yeah. from this book as a modern read that maybe is not maybe not the original intention but is certainly the echo of the book itself and when people are like oh you know little women sex and city it's yeah those aren't sisters either those are best <laughs> no. friends that is a modern no. ver- you know these four yeah. archetype women who are good friends and maybe closer e- to each other than they are to any of their family so yeah. i don't see it as kind of that separate you know from that no Completely. Yeah. I'll tell you, one of the most difficult things about writing a modern interpretation of Little Women is that basically 200 years of cultural references to stuff about female friendship and tomboys just disappears. Without this book as the ancestor, we don't have Sex in the City. We don't have Hermione from Harry Potter, God forbid. None of that exists. Mm -hmm. And it all comes from this book, which it's not afraid to say multiple things or disagree with itself. I think that's why it's gone through so many 
on publication, it was scandalous and banned by the Christian Union, <laughs> right? And now there's a Pure Flix Little Women, the evangelical film distribution company. Did like, we try to watch that, Lindsay? I feel like <laughs> we've tried to watch every single version of this at yeah. one point or the other. The anime <laughs> version, we've, do- yeah. we've gone through all of them to varying successes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they yeah. don't work. Yeah, I still have to take a deep dive into the Pure Flix version, but it just astonishes oh, yeah. me that you can you should. pull so many things out of this. It's been held up as a feminist text. It's been attacked as reinforcing conventional femininity. It's We can read it as a queer and trans text, too. Like You can hold it up, and so many different colors can come shooting out. It's very cool. Yeah, I was watching 80 for Brady. Awful. Not good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's about four women. Yep. And mm-hmm. I was comparing it to book club, also about four mm-hmm. older women. And we were, and I was thinking about Golden Girls. And I was saying, you know, the problem with eighty for Brady, and this is from straight from mm-hmm. Little Women. I'm like, each woman does not have their own thing. You got to mm-hmm. give them all their own thing. They can't just all mm-hmm. love Tom Brady. They can't have the same thing. Everyone has to have a little <laughs> different spice so that it's fun when they all come together. And why are they mm-hmm. friends? And it's sick that I'm criticizing this movie that's not meant to even be critically looked at like that. It's <laughs> yeah. a movie about four four old ladies going to the Super Bowl. But my own kind of just little women indoctrination means that Mm -hmm. I know how it works when it's perfect. And so therefore, I cannot accept four women in a movie that doesn't (laughs) create the same connection that I want to see. And I just, it really is an incredible, it really does incredibly stand the test of time and it's still being repeated so often now. Oh, yeah. Okay, I just was thinking that Okay, I was like, so if there needs to be four, one of them always needs to die. <laughs> well, in 80 for Brady, Lily Tomlin is sick. Okay, and also this meme that, and just like that, is <laughs> Beth's death. Yes, Samantha is Beth, and she wow. had to die. She had to go. I know, and that's yes. why that show doesn't work as well, because once Beth dies, like things need to come to an end. You can't just drag it on. This is off subject, and I know you said you'll correct it. You say the show doesn't work as well. Someone who raved. All for <laughs> about that show. Yes. No, you're going to have okay. a record on that. This is the difference in that any, <laughs> this is how I'm like, anything they would have done would have been something that I loved. But I have to admit that it doesn't mm-hmm. work as well as the original. But obviously, yes. If they rebooted Little Women 94 and Claire Danes wasn't available, I'd still be like, this is the best <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my goddamn life. <laughs> I would love to see that. I would love to see, you know, Winona Ryder, adult Joe making it in the world. I, Christian Bale, that is a, I was born in 93. So I did not know the 94 version as a kid. I'm not trying to make anyone feel old, but. Too late. <laughs> so I've only ever known Christian Bale. I think my first Christian Bale movie was probably The Dark Knight. So that's just how I know Christian Bale. And I'm watching Little Women and he's Laurie. And I'm like, what is happening? He's <laughs> so good. Batman? He's so good. It's unbelievable how good he is. It's like Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio-esque. His boyhood is so mm-hmm. good in that. I mean, he's just so yeah. quirky. That's why I was like, as much as I love Timmy Chalamet, I was mm-hmm. just like, he's no, he's not Christian Bale, and I'm not being like, well, this is my version from when I was growing up. I was just like, it's just not, it doesn't work for me. You know, there's mm-hmm. not, there's a, there, ugh, it's missing something, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm afraid to say, so this is, as I've said, when we were not recording, I'm recording at the public library, and there's a public library class beginning at 2.15, so oh. we do kind of have to <laughs> wrap it up. Yeah, any final thoughts before we head out? What a uh, rich chapter this is. I'm like going to start restart the book. I feel like this is yeah. like really has got <laughs> into my brain. Now I'm like, I need to see, I, I need to see what happens. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. 
it's such a short chapter and I feel like everyone yeah must be like this was so enticing and no yeah Yeah, every week they're three to four pages and we always go over an hour it shows how much there is to talk about in the pages themselves it's not even like we're going long talking about the movies like there's always something in the handful of pages that she gives us lets us go deep she as if she's assigning movies from beyond the grave which she probably is did you visit sleepy hollow when you were in concord did you see alcott's grave no no we didn't wow we really we gotta go back that we have to go back and do it again we gotta go we gotta see the mural we gotta see the girlies drinking their box of joe and we have to see (laughs) lisa may alcott's grave i think lisa may alcott would love the mural that's my opinion i actually I, i think she would think it was incredible you She'd know? be completely into it. What would her? But she'd be du- honored. Yeah. What would her Dunkin' order be? Oh my God! Great question. <laughs> I think she would drink iced coffee year round because she's mm-hmm. a true. <laughs> she's a true head. So it'd be like thirty-two <laughs> degrees. She's going to Dunkin'. She's getting. I would say large because she's going to be drinking it all day because she's oh, writing. Yeah. So a large, maybe just simple iced coffee, oat milk, extra oat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely. There's historical support for this, Lindsay, because oh, like, right. one of one of the things we know about Alcott is she had an incredibly unhealthy and unsustainable creative practice. And when she wrote, she would write night and day, very little sleep, food is delivered, pushed under the door. Amazing. Like, so okay, she I'm, would be like, okay, I'm changing her order. It's okay. a large iced coffee with an extra shot. So it's yeah. the turbo. <laughs> it's turbo Duncan, extra shot. Mm-hmm. oat milk no ice or low yeah. ice because then it wouldn't mm-hmm. melt as the day right. so yeah, yeah that's yeah. her order yeah or she's going out to get that she's been writing all day she's like okay 6 p.m i'm gonna go out and get my cold brew so i can yep. keep writing all night 100 <laughs> yeah that's it all right well i love that on that note <laughs> Lindsay, katie it has been a total pleasure having you here katie where can people find you online how can they buy your book support your work that kind of thing my books are wherever books are sold, mostly online at this point. And my website is my name, com, and that has my other stuff too. Yeah, so please run out and buy Katie's books. Lindsay, where can people find you online? How can they support your work? You can listen to Who Weekly wherever podcasts yes. are heard. And my website is whoislindsayweber.com, and that's where yes. maybe other stuff is, but mostly the podcast. Okay, and one final question. Which March sister is Rita Ora? <laughs> Amy is Rita Ora. <laughs> Amy is definitely Rita Ora. When she goes yeah. to Europe and wow. she wears her little dress, she is Rita Ora. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Completely, yeah. All right, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you so much, Lindsay and Katie. As always, I am your host, Peyton Thomas. You can find me online at peytonthomas.ca. You can buy my book, Both Sides Now, wherever you get books, wherever you get Katie's book add everything to the cart at once. <laughs> and you can also find us now on Instagram. We are at Joe's Boys Pod. You can follow us there for news, updates, sneak previews of forthcoming episodes, thirst traps of Katherine Hepburn, all the important basics. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Yay!